Welcome to the Procurement Show. Hello and welcome to The Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien. And I'm Paul Philpot. I'm here to ask the questions and make sure we are, quote, stimulating and thought-provoking. This week we're looking at a future challenge for procurement and this is one of scarcity of resources. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing. Enabling the future of procurement in organisations around the globe. Now, we've talked a lot about security of supply issues in recent episodes on The Procurement Show, and mostly due to a number of current factors and some post-pandemic hangovers. But as these subside, which they will do in probably a year or two, we're going to be left with a new challenge. And that is one of resource scarcity, which is something that is going to really begin to bite in coming years. Can you help me define the topic a bit more? What do we mean when we're talking of resources? Okay, resources, everything that we need to be able to function, to be able to run our business, to be able to do what we need to do, all of the raw materials, the inputs, the things that we rely on. And there's quite a few things that are in fact going to get scarce. So right now, what do you think is the most scarce commodity in the world the most scarce um, thing what would you say it is uh metal yeah. it's got to be metal well metal's in there actually it's not the most we'll come to metals it's actually the non-metal thing um it's obviously not water or anything like that yes it's, it is no it is fresh water you are kidding fresh me. water is the most scarce thing on the planet but it's all around us well you would think so but it's full of salt you know if you've got seawater but the process of desalinating yeah. seawater is very complex it's actually set to become the most scarce and precious resource in the future because this might surprise you despite the fact that most of our planet is water fresh water yes drinking water makes up only two and a half percent of the total volume of water in the world and of that two and a half percent about three quarters of it is currently locked in ice and permanent snow cover. And of course, it's recycled. That has really taken me aback. Do you think that because we see, especially where we live in the United Kingdom with you know the sea around us, do you think because we see water, water everywhere, yeah. we therefore think there's water, water everywhere? Yeah, and there really isn't. When it comes to fresh water, that's going to be really scarce in future times. And it already is. When you look at underdeveloped countries, water is the biggest problem and will become more so as climate change begins to bite. So droughts, severe droughts, something that we're going to see in this decade the next precious thing sand um well again that's something you tend to see pretty much not everywhere but when you go to the coast yeah we're aware of deserts here and there surely there can't be a shortage of sand there is the odd desert on the planet but it's the right kind of sand and the right kind of sand is actually the stuff you find on the beach it's what's called sharp sand it's all about the shape of the sand particle the type that gets into your sandwiches when you go to the beach and it's really not very tasty and into all those other cracks yes yes so sand is important because it's needed for building and what we're seeing is a huge shortage of sand as quite frankly companies just take the sand from the beaches they take them from rivers in this country in the united states in much of europe there are laws to protect that but in other parts of the world we now have what we call the sand mafia so we have gangs organized criminal gangs that are extracting sand from beaches causing huge impacts to communities that rely on rivers 
and the sea for their economy, and then increasing the risk of flood and other consequences as a result of that. I was going to say, there must be environmental impacts, because I imagine wherever we harvest, Hmm. for want of a better word, sand, that must be highly regulated and controlled. In this country, yes. But not all over the world. So sand is a big thing, and it's the source of a lot of criminal activities now. Third most scarce thing on the planet right now, topsoil. As in the thing that we plant our crops in? Yep, that's yeah. it, we got it. Okay, but again, one would assume that's everywhere because we see a lot of it while we're on the train going past fields and hills and dales. Yep. Everything's covered in topsoil, isn't it? So at current rates, usable topsoil could be gone in less than 60 years. And about 95% of the world's food production requires topsoil. The problem is it's degrading. Over the years, we've been using intense agricultural methods. We've been putting lots of chemicals on it. And what that's done is it's ruined the quality. So the soil is there, but it is becoming unusable Mm -hmm. and it becomes like dust. Quality topsoil is something you can't just replenish because it's taken centuries for it to be able to become what it is now. I'm kind of like seeing a similarity there then between topsoil and water. Yeah. We've got both of those elements, but the key word is usable. Yeah. So with specific reference to topsoil, what do we lose in nutrients, Mm -hmm. the ability for it to actually feed into crops? Yeah. Good topsoil sticks together, you know, if you kind of dig your garden. Do you dig your garden? Mm, Can you dig it? You can dig it. Yes, I can. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) When it sort of sticks together, it's good quality, good agricultural topsoil. And that goes. It's also due to loss of biodiversity. We've talked about that on this show. It's also due to climate change. So all the kind of worms and the bugs and the things that kind of make it what it is, you know, they are going, we're losing those things and soil is getting degraded. And of course, that will impact the world's food supply as we move forward into the future. So that's the third most scarce thing. Then we've got fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. Now we know about that. We know that there's probably about 50 years of fossil fuels remaining. You know, should we be bothered that they're scarce? Well, today we should, even though we're desperately Mm. trying to move away from them. But let me give you another one in fifth place phosphorus. I don't even know what phosphorus is. Phosphorus is a nutrient. It's used in fertilizers. Basically, without phosphorus, we cannot produce food. And this is a big deal. It's one of these things that nobody quite hears about. You don't hear about the shortage of phosphorus, but right now reserves are in decline. We are exhausting all of the phosphorus around the world, and there isn't an alternative. We're heading for this kind of food crisis. Where do you think all the phosphorus in the world is? In the ground. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I was meaning more geographical. Oh, sorry. Um... Is it going to be where the rainforests are? Good guess. It's Russia, China, Uh Ukraine. Okay, we'll come back to where... Yeah, this is a hot topic. Yeah, absolutely. And then you talked about metals. So metals are scarce as well. The most scarce thing is a thing called antimony. We're actually in decline in that. And we've extracted nearly all of this product. It's used in the electronics industry. It's used to make semiconductors. It's also used as one of the components in flame retardant things. Mm -hmm. Then you've got your metals. Gold, molybdenum, rhenium, zinc, indium, scandium, turbidium, all of the things that are used in smartphones, in computers, in all the gadgets that we have today. The Procurement Show. Exploring the more interesting bits about procurement. And now, the Procurement Fun Fact. This edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement, bizarre buying, or simply saucy sourcing. In 1948, a wealthy lawyer from Charlotte, North Carolina, bought a box of very rare and expensive cigars. He subsequently insured them against fire. 
A month later, after smoking all the cigars, he filed a claim against the insurance company claiming that they had been destroyed in a series of small fires. <laughs> the insurance company refused to pay up, and so the lawyer sued them, and he won. The judge concluded that the wording of the policy was such that the insurance company had failed to limit its liability by defining what would be classed as an unacceptable fire. The insurance company then reported the lawyer to the police, who arrested the lawyer and charged him on 24 counts of arson. The Procurement Fun Fact Contact us by email hello at theprocurementshow.com Send us a tweet at Procurement Show or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show. So I guess this explains then, furthermore, why mobile phone manufacturers really have a proactive collection and recycling campaign because they want to extract these extremely rare, precious metals yeah. from the devices that are no longer required. Yeah, how many phones have you got stuffed in a drawer? Oh, I think I've probably got about four or five. I can beat that. I've got a whole drawer full of phones even. Do you remember that old Nokia thing that you had, the 6110? Taking that into account, I have even more. When you said phones, I instantly thought smartphones. But no, I've got the old flip phone and I've got a Nokia. Is it the 6110? I think so. The Mm. the one that lasted, the battery lasted for a year and a half or something. Yeah, We all have those things because everyone's worried about getting rid of them because there's data on them and stuff like that. But they're full of gold and silver and all of these rare earth metals. The problem we have is being able to get at it. Yeah. You might say this is, yeah, take the phone back. But actually extracting that is very difficult. So things like gold, for example, gold is in every electrical appliance that we have. And it's used on connectors because it's the third best conducting metal, but it's best for connectors because it doesn't tarnish. And getting that gold, that tiny amount of gold plating off a connector in a computer or a phone Mm. is really difficult. But we're getting to the point where we are potentially going to run out of this stuff because Mm. it's getting scarce. So gold is a good example. How much gold do you think is in the world? If you had to sort of compare it to the size of a thing... How much gold do you think exists? In I the world? think there's at least 10 things. Yeah, well, that's very quantitative. Thank okay, you. the size of a thing. Yeah. Uh, let's take a shipping container. Okay, yeah. How many shipping containers? I think there must be a million shipping containers worth of gold. Just no. hard to find. No. Okay, I'll correct myself. Half a million shipping containers worth of gold. I can't do the math. But I think one cargo ship full of shipping containers is about where it's at. <gasps> so the size, the amount of gold, if you've got it all here yeah. in one room, you've got all your reserves out of your safe that you have uh, obviously, for a rainy day, yeah. and you put it all in one place, the amount of gold would be a cube 28 metres on every side. Now, 28 metres isn't a lot. No, it's not. That's the size of a small office yeah. block. Yeah. These facts... These worries are something I don't think we're communicating enough to the general public. No. We're obviously doing it now, but to a very niche audience. But I think people need to be made aware of the scarcity of the resources that the planet is under. Yeah. You say saving things for a rainy day. I'm really looking forward to that rainy day because I might be able to capture some fresh water for a change. But I need to ask you, we're quite intelligent people as human beings. Are we not 
in a position where we can just manufacture our way out of this. That's a good point, because for some things there are substitutes, and for some things we're going to have to find substitutes. And we're clever people, we can come up with some of those things. The problem is, for many of these things, there are no substitutes. Some of these metals, some of these commodities, some of these minerals, they are things that formed 15 billion years ago, when the Earth formed. And they're formed in the way that the Earth's crust cooled in different ways throughout mm -hmm. the creation of the Earth. And unless we've got 15 million years to wait, we're not going to be able to recreate things like phosphorus. There's a finite amount. For gold, there's about 20% left out there in the ground. Every other bit of gold is either in your safe, mm. in a bank, mm. or it is stuffed in a computer somewhere on a big tip. Completely random question. If we lived in a sci-fi world, yeah. we would, of course, go off-world to mine these materials from passing comets and things like that. Crystal ball in the future, do you think that's what we're going to have to do? It's already it happening. Yeah. No. Yeah. So you look at some of the stuff that's happening with going to the moon. It's easy to think, hey, we're going to go to the moon because it's cool to put a flag on it. That's not what it's about. The moon has huge, vast sources of minerals. We saw China going to the dark side of the moon. I think it was last year. Uh -huh. There's a new space race with nations like China who want to establish a base there. And the US are looking at a base there partly as a starting point to then go to Mars. But a lot of the reasons for wanting to go to the moon is to be able to mine minerals. And there are things on the moon you can't find on the Earth. Helium-3, for example, could solve a lot of the Earth's energy issues, and it only exists on the moon. Potentially, the moon and other planets are a source of future resources as we begin to exhaust the Earth's resources. So hopefully we'll be talking about that in Series 400 of The Procurement Show. Yeah. But you touched upon it earlier... And it's certainly a hot topic of interest and concern for everyone. Has Russia invading Ukraine have a big impact on all of this? Yeah, that's a really good point, because why did Putin invade Ukraine? And nobody can answer that, because on the face of it, it looks like he just wanted to, or mm. he had some kind of logistical reason for it. Who knows? But when you look at it with a lens of resources, we can actually look at a number of things in a different way. So in terms of what Russia has to start with, so it is the second biggest producer of platinum, vanadium, cobalt, which is a key metal that's used in the production of EV batteries, third biggest reserves and producer of gold, nickel, sulfur, silver, phosphate, a lot of iron ore. So huge resources sit in Russia. In Ukraine, similar massive reserves of resources that exist in Ukraine. It has one of the biggest areas of coal that is still available, also of oil and natural gas, iron ore, manganese ore, again, mm -hmm. another metal that's needed to produce EV batteries, and huge amounts of resources. Also, what's unique about Ukraine is a lot of these things are concentrated together, so they're much easier to mine. And we're beginning to kind of see this shift in geopolitical power where it's about the resources that you have available to yourself for the future. Now, we've talked about China a lot on this show. China has progressively bought up huge swathes of land for agricultural use in the South African continent. If we talk about cobalt again, for example, if you look in the Dominican Republic of Congo, there are, I think, about 17 cobalt mines which represent the biggest source of the world's cobalt. And China now owns, I think, 15 of those. So we're seeing these kind of big powers beginning to 
acquire control over the future world's resources. And we're kind of not realizing what's going on here. We're kind of looking at this and thinking, well, we're going to need all this stuff into the future. Will we have access to it? So Russia invading Ukraine, that brings that into question. I've got a list here of some of the things that we get from Russia. So the biggest export from Russia is petroleum, oil and gas, wheat, a lot of cereal crops, and aluminium, timber, copper, huge, vast resources we rely on, all coming from Russia. But some of those things in Ukraine as well. Two points I want to just pick up on there. First of all, the fact that these countries have claim on these materials, is that just not because coincidence they've managed to find it? Should we not be looking elsewhere? Can we not look elsewhere for these materials? And the second question is, surely the materials that we have used are out there somewhere. Right. You know, they haven't just vanished. So should we be expanding our approach with regards to tracking down supplies that are out in the wild that we perhaps hold as consumers yeah. and recycling a bit more? Yeah. yeah. And yes to both of those. So yes, we need to find alternative sources. Sourcing from Russia has been an easy solution for many of the things that we've done. That's about to change. And countries are now thinking about these sort of geopolitical issues that will affect future resource scarcity. So you need to think about where you're going to get stuff from. You know, here we are. We do this from the West Country in the UK. And, you know, we've got vast resources here. We have Cornish pasties. We do, in abundance. So we're okay Mm -hmm. in terms of resources. Also in Cornwall, tin mines, lithium mines, they were all shut down years ago because they're uneconomic. Suddenly, they're economic again because we've got vast resources here that are literally on our doorstep to where we are right now. So, yes, that's changing where we're getting stuff from. The hard reality, though, in some cases is that some of the things we need don't exist somewhere else. And that's going to give us a future issue. Phosphorus is a key example of that. Most of the phosphorus is in China. And China has already begun to impose export tariffs on that Mm -hmm. to begin to protect itself. We're going to see much more of that. We could see a future scenario where China says, actually, I'm not going to export phosphorus anymore because we need it. And then, you know, we have a real problem outside of China. Yeah. So it's not a simple case of buyers being lazy, just going to locations of supply purely because that's how it has always been. Yeah. It's time to Ask Jonathan. And today's Ask Jonathan is from Harriet, who's aged, get this, seven and a half. Wow. There is a backstory to this. Harriet's dad listens to the procurement show when he's driving, often when he's being taxied to his twin daughters, Helen and Harriet. I love a bit of alliteration. On one car journey, Harriet said... Daddy, what is procurement? And Helen said that she would like to know too. And it seemed like a very important thing to ask. So Harriet and Helen's dad said he'd write in to find out. Harriet and Helen, thank you very much for writing in. It is a really good question. What is procurement? And it's something that I get asked and I really struggle to answer it. So you could say it's buying stuff, but it's not. It's kind of much, much more than that. And there are different words we use for this. We sometimes say procurement or purchasing or sourcing. And depending on where you are in the world, they have kind of different meanings in terms of how strategic it is, which is a very big word, isn't it, if you're seven and a half? It is a bit, yeah. So think about this. If you're going to do a painting, let me try and bring this down to what you would do if you were doing a painting. So we've got our crayons out. You need some crayons. Yes. You need a piece of paper or Lovely. a board or something to mm-hmm. draw it on. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you're going to have some brushes and do some paints as mm-hmm. well. So you need some paints and some brushes. Okay. You've got to go and buy those things. Yeah. So that's the buying bit. Okay. Now imagine if you're going to set up a company to do lots of paintings and you were going to sell these and make lots of money. You would need to buy them in a slightly better 
right away because you need to try and make sure that you're getting the best discounts and you're buying from the right places and you're thinking about making sure you've got all the things arriving when you need them. Yes. Am I getting too simplistic No, 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 no. You're thinking about quantity and yeah. the price. Procurement's about organising how you buy all the bits and making mm-hmm. sure that everything you need to be able to run the painting business is there and arrives and you're not spending too much money with your suppliers and you're making sure you get all the stuff you need. Okay, I think that makes sense. Does that explain it? I think that does, but just to kind of help Helen and Harriet yeah. get on their way, yeah. I want to ask you, how old were you when you started to get into procurement? I've been doing it all my life. I'm all very good life. at buying things. All your life? Yeah. Since you were a wee whippersnapper? Yes. Oh, well, thank you for that. Don't forget, if you want to know how to challenge your friends in the playground when it comes to swapping your 10 pence pieces for more bags of sweets, otherwise known as negotiation and supply, then please do send in your questions for Ask Jonathan. Ask Jonathan. Email your question to jonathan at theprocurementshow.com. You might be part of the next show. The Procurement Show. The latest thinking, the greatest insights. Now, this means that as a buyer in procurement, you could be potentially in a really awkward spot. What do you do when you can't buy the resources you need because you're almost being held to ransom, aren't you? What do you do? Yeah. Where do you go from there? This is the thing, because if we think about procurement and even kind of tactical buying, you know, the organisation makes a thing, it produces a service, it needs the raw materials it needs. So either the organisation has just bought that stuff in a very tactical way, or it has a more strategic approach to how it sources it and its understanding how it can source in the most effective way. But the point is, in both of those, it is responding to what the organisation needs. We need this raw material. How can we best source it? What we're now entering is a phase where the procurement function is going to be kind of going back to the organisation saying, this is at risk. We need to rethink what we do. And that's part of what's happening with sustainability. Procurement's going back to the organisation saying, we understand the supply chains now, we understand the environment we're sourcing from, and this is the problem we're heading for. So in terms of what you do, the first thing that you have to do is you've got to understand the future risk. So that's about using PESL, that's about understanding all of the raw materials and the inputs that go into something, and beginning to model the future risk that we're exposed to. And that's quite simple. It's about looking at, you know, if you're in the business of producing EV batteries, it's about looking at where does the lithium, the manganese, the cobalt come from today and how does that impact us for the future? So you're thinking about a strategy for the products you're making today and how that then changes what the organization's going to do tomorrow. So in that particular sector, for example, a lot of the EV manufacturers, the battery manufacturers are now saying, OK, can we use an alternative to cobalt? Can we do something different? And mm-hmm. we're going to see future technology shifts that will be driven by issues of resource scarcity that will use new technology. So procurement's re-engineering the product. It's re-engineering the service together with the rest of the business based on what's possible in the future supply base. What do we do? We've got to understand what's happening in the world. We've got to be able to model the supply chains. We've got to be able to understand the risk and have a time-based plan based on the science 
for when we're going to start switching away. But all these things that we've been talking about just now, they've also had an impact on price increases. They've Mm. driven prices up as well. Are we in a situation now where we've got a price increase chain reaction? Is that ever going to end? Yeah, it's a great question because right now prices are just going up. They're going up and they're not going to come down. You know, we're into this inflationary environment for the next one, two years. But beyond that, when scarcity types to bite, it's a whole different thing. Because if the only way you can provide the product or service that you provide relies on a raw material and the prices of that are rising, it's going to drive prices up. Resource scarcity is going to create a whole new dimension of ongoing inflationary price rises. The opportunity here is how can you innovate that allows you to do something differently? So this is why sustainability is such a value add for the future of business. So how can we have a process, a supply chain that uses less fresh water? How can we move away from some of these raw materials that are getting scarce and do things in a different way? Because it's innovation that will bring us out of this. Initially, it's about managing scarcity, but the competitive advantage for the future comes through innovation and finding different ways to do things that takes away the risk of future resource scarcity. Are these conversations going on in organisations in the right way? Not enough. Okay. Whose fault is that? Is procurement not filtering down data proof concerns to other areas of the business say, look, we need to find an alternative here or we need to adapt what we're creating, invent something different, look at a B plan. Why isn't this happening? Because it seems now is the right time for it to be happening. It should be happening, yeah. It's starting. So some of the clients that I'm working with, they are figuring out where they're at risk and they have people that are looking at it. And what they're doing is they're literally beginning to understand what's our supply chain, who are we reliant upon, who owns the mines where the stuff comes from. You know, they're modeling that stuff and coming up with an assessment of risk exposure. So that's great because, you know, they don't have the solution but they're able to start identifying where they need to act. But there are a lot of other people I work with that just are not doing this. It's not on their radar. They're getting bitten by price rise, but it's a kind of short-term response. So we need to be looking at the next 20, 30, 40 years. Let me give you some statistics here. In terms of when stuff's going to run out, gold is currently scheduled to run out, all the Earth's resources, in 2060. Millennium in 2070 and zinc in 2070. So, you know, some of the things that we need are going to actually run out in our lifetime. So the clock is ticking. It really is ticking. Do you think also, you you mentioned about influences, do you think that recent developments with regards to Russia invading Ukraine has opened up our eyes to more extreme external influences on the supply chain? In other words wars you know we've gone through quite a period of time where europe has certainly been extremely settled you know we've had a few political debates but so far they've been kept within the political arena they've not actually led to physical conflict so does that not mean that wars in the future might be based on resources we invade a country to invade and take over its resources yeah should we not be trying to predict engage consider all these issues or buy a load more weapons oh well you see it's a really good point because the wars of the future will be fought around resources 
and that'll be about claiming territory because those resources will become critical. Water will probably be the thing that the most conflict arises over. But that list we started off with here, all of those things could become critical to human life on this planet. Add to that that population growth is set to reach 10.7 billion by the end of this century, and you have the potential for this huge, hungry planet and not enough stuff on it. Current rates of use, we will need 1.8 planets towards the end of this century to be able to survive at the current rates of consumption that we have. So that is going to be the basis upon which countries will suddenly become much more aggressive and territorial, and it will be, sadly, the basis on which future wars will be fought. Can regulation help here? I don't think it can stop war. The ideal sort of regulation is that you'd have a kind of geopolitical, worldwide, global regulation that requires everybody to share and creates fairness in the world. That's not going to happen. We're looking at the sadly. Star Trek world yeah. there. We're looking at the ideal world it where is. everyone yeah. has a common goal and there's one government, a worldwide government, and everybody works together. Unfortunately... That isn't going to happen, is it? Yeah, we have to resign ourselves to the fact that the future is going to be volatile and uncertain and we cannot rely on this kind of global planet, this global source of supply we've come to rely on. It's going to be very different in the future and we need to be ready for that. How do you think the next 48 months are going to look? Well, I think we have a choice. Either everybody carries on dealing with the here and now in terms of price increases from suppliers. What do we do about this? Scarcity of supply. Those are big issues right now. What that is doing is it's giving us a taste of kind of what comes beyond that. So if we only focus on the here and now and think it's all going to get back to normal again, then we're wasting our time. Well, we're not wasting our time. We're dealing with current issues. But if we use that opportunity to think, okay, there's a bigger risk, future scarcity of supply, volatility thing we need to confront here. How do we begin to plan for that? Then we've used those 48 months really, really wisely. Are you concerned about focus being lost? Before the war, Mm. we were all concerned about the effect of COVID on the supply chain. Prior to that, we were quite rightly concerned about the effect of climate matters on the supply chain. Now we're worried about the effect of the war on the supply chain. Does this mean that we're spending too much focus on that and forgetting about the other things, knowing that hopefully, fingers crossed, that will be over with, but the other two will still be having an impact? Yeah, they are actually all the same thing. It's about sustainability. And remember sustainability, simple definition, the ability to exist constantly. And all of these things are different drivers to our ability to exist constantly. So climate change is a driver, but also loss of biodiversity, how our oceans are struggling, resource depletion over consumption of resources and impacts on human rights around the world. All of those things together make us unsustainable. Sustainability is the key here and that can only actually happen at a global level but we need to be doing as much as we can to try and get to that even if the whole world isn't going to be there with us well you've given us a lot to think about in that one haven't you jonathan thank you very much you've been listening to the procurement show one of the top rated procurement podcasts globally which we're extremely excited about very happy about that of course the program wouldn't be as engaging if it wasn't for you and if you'd like to get in touch here's how you've been listening to the procurement show contact us by email Hello at theprocurementshow.com. Connect with us on LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show, and on Twitter at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing. 
enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing. All rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.